Welcome to the Biota.org Interviews Podcast. I'm Tom Barbele, and today I have the privilege of talking with Sally Jane Norman at the University of Newcastle in the UK. Sally Jane, you have an Artificial Life Award that you are running currently. Could you give some background to the listeners with regards to how you got interested in Artificial Life and also what this award is? Yes, with pleasure. Thanks, Tom, for giving us this opportunity. VIDA, the Art and Artificial Life competition, was actually set up by Telefonica in Madrid uh, in 1999. And the goal at the time was to create a competition that would be an opportunity for bringing together different sorts of interdisciplinary works that are related to artificial life and that put a creative and, and artistic spin on it. Um, we felt that there was a lot of really interesting work around that was based on programming, that was based on robotics, that was based on various things that could be either metaphorically or quite literally associated with artificial life processes, but that there was no real platform for bringing that work together. And so we felt that a competition and, and a way of incentivizing people working in this field or these fields, because it's incredibly plural, would be the best way forward. And Telefonica, I think, was very astute in recognizing this as a, as a valuable um, art and technology development arena. And the original uh, ringleaders who put VIDA together were Rafael Luzana Hema, who's a quite famous Mexican-Spanish-Canadian artist, and Nell Tenhaf, who's a Canadian artist theorist. So that's where it all came from. And with regards to your background, how did you get interested in artificial life? Well, I've, I've got a slightly idiosyncratic approach to it, which is probably what everybody has. Um, I came to it as somebody from theatre history and practice, and with a definition of theatre that is probably considered as blasphemously broad by conventional theatre specialists. Um, I see theatre as a place for modelling and projecting new life forms um, and for providing people with visions that break the boundaries of what we consider to be predictable and acceptable behaviours and, and living entities. And so I, I tend to throw on the appellation of theatre, a lot of stuff that sits actually very well in the artificial life world. So that's that's been my inroad. Now, in terms of the, the prize itself, can you talk a little bit more about the ethos in the contemporary prize and what you're actually looking for from artificial life developers? I think what we're looking for more than anything is work that is audacious, that is going to challenge the boundaries of existing practices, that is going to jolt people into new ways of perceiving what's going on and, and, and emerging practice. Um, we're really looking for work that's going to trigger the collective imagination and, and push people into new ways of thinking about what is life and what is artificial life, because of course the two are incredibly intricately enmeshed. And initially, I mean, we, we're, not, we're, not, we're not really, I don't think any of the jury members and, and certainly the founders, are, the, the, the money aspect wasn't key at any point. In fact, the prize money, and this is to Telefonica's credit, has been steadily ramped up over the years, but this was never 
um, the real issue. The real issue was to try and create a formal um, a formal platform for people to actually submit work so that we could bring it together, compare it, um, thrash out its implications as a collective jury, uh, and then showcase work to get the buzz going at the planetary level about what this kind of stuff represents, where it fits with, um, with social and cultural and technological thinking. Um, one, one thing that's important about the way the prize has evolved is that there has been recognition um, of the need to facilitate or to incentivize production in certain countries. And this is quite a specific um, aspect of the, of the competition which has been developed by Telefonica uh, with an incentive uh, for productions from the Latin American countries, so from Spain, Portugal, and, and South America. Um, and I think that's been really interesting because we actually accompany work uh, that's in the making and at the same time, of course, in the core part of the competition, the original part of the competition, we're awarding work that has already been made. Now, in terms of the diverging categories of artificial life that exist currently, how do you as a judging panel go about uh, comparing a, a robotic work, a physical robotic work, with uh, an artificial life screensaver or an existing piece of software. Well, what is the criteria and the weighting that these various apparently diverging disciplines get in the judging panel? Yeah, that's an excellent question, and and the most honest answer is is a, um, I guess in some ways a complex one. What we try to do, I think it's impossible to compare unlikes. Um, what we're trying to do is to compare the power that these different works have to get people thinking in new ways about definitions of life and artificial life. But within the jury itself, we've tried over the years, um, I've been fortunate in being involved in the very early phase, and then I was phased out because there is a principle of actually rotating jury members, which I think is quite important. Um, this enables us to renew uh, the skill sets and the areas of competence of the jury members. Uh, what we've tried to do is build up a spectrum of complementary interests and, and, and research specializations and, and competencies. And what that means is that if somebody submits something that's based, for example, on, um, I don't know, recursive um, chaotic algorithms or, um, you know, we've had a lot of cellular automator stuff, um, and then we've also had a lot of hard nuts and bolts robotic stuff. Um, we'll have somebody in the, on the jury who's, who's better equipped theoretically and, and practically uh, to present that work. And that way we get it. There's a kind of a translation process that happens within the jury. And then we, we have an inroad to the implications of the work from the scientific side. And then we can actually think about what its impact is from the artistic and cultural side. But interestingly, some of the work that's been awarded over the years um, has not necessarily come from artist practitioners. Um, some of it has come quite clearly from scientific practitioners, and I think that mix is hugely important. There is a history of long-term, somewhat community-building, sometimes open-source projects. Is that factored in any way with regards to the award? I think it would be uh, misleading to say that we would specifically wait in favour of any given criterion, um, what we would do is, is obviously take into account 
something like um, open source um, uh, environments, uh, the community ethos that you're talking about, what we're ultimately interested in is, is the power of the piece to actually trigger ways of thinking and ways of talking and ways of articulating uh, life and artificial life work. But some of the work that we have awarded uh, has been very explicitly and I would say very commendably anchored in open source software, in community and collaborative practice. And it would also be wrong to say that we haven't been uh, interested in or seduced by that because we've awarded the work. I, I think as a group we feel ideologically that that kind of component of, of a lot of the artificial life work that's going on is, is immensely important. But, you know, at the same time, I could probably flag up a, an incredibly individualistic work um, that has been a very powerful trigger of, of, of public imaginative creative thinking about artificial life that we might also have awarded. I think these, these sorts of factors do get taken into account, and very importantly, but I'd be lying if I said that there was a particular factor or field that was going to outweigh other factors or fields. Now, you mentioned something very interesting with regards to evangelizing artificial life, particularly in South America. Can you talk a little bit about how this prize has done that over, over the past seven, eight years? Well, it's actually been, in many respects, a very, a very modest uh, prize in that uh, initially financially it was it was extremely um, it was an extremely modest sum I can't remember what it was but we were delighted by the fact that people were sending in work and were very very happy when we rang them to tell them that they'd got an award um, not because of the prize money because it was pretty pretty slim sums we were talking about but because they they genuinely felt that there was peer recognition and that there was an, an awareness and acknowledgement of what it was that they were trying to do. So um, the, I think that the notion of building up a community of interest has been a driving force in the project. And regarding the South American component and the Latin American and Spanish and Portu Portuguese components, um, I, th I think there that's been a very specific uh, outreach activity that is part of Telefonica's activity as a, as a major telecommunications player uh, in those countries. But at the same time, of course, it's, it's been hugely interesting for the VEDA competition because it's brought into our arena a whole bunch of people who would have been or who were previously completely sidelined. And so there's interesting stuff happening now in Peru. I mean, somebody like Jose Carlos Mariategui is, is, is being an incredible evangelist uh, in South America. Uh, there's interesting stuff coming through from Brazil, of course. Uh, there's interesting stuff coming through from Spain and Portugal that wouldn't necessarily have come through the core competition as it had been defined previously. So I think if you if you line up something like the Vida competition um, with some of the other international um, financial incentives, production incentives, uh, people like Daniel Longua in Montreal uh, build up lists of countries that they want to prioritize in their financial incentivization of art and technology projects. Um, and, and I think that these sorts of quite um, quite explicit targeted approaches are, are actually really interesting. 
they go against the grain of those who feel that everything should be um, uniformly distributed across our entire planet, as though everybody is in an equal situation to contribute. Uh, of course, but I, I think it's been a very good way to move forward. Now, on a somewhat personal level, is there anything more that you'd like to see from the artificial life community that you're not currently seeing? I think that the staggering thing about artificial life uh, in the creative and artistic and cultural arenas is that it's got a hell of a job to catch up with the reality of artificial life as it's been developed in the scientific and technology and industrial application arenas. And what really enthralls me, I'm not saying this is something I'm missing, but it's something I'm acutely aware of, is to see by what strategies artists can try and maintain their creative poetic freedom and their, um, and their singular visions with respect to stuff that's happening in everyday applied levels that is absolutely staggering in terms of technology developments. So, so I think it's that kind of um, awareness of what's going on in the so-called uh, real world of applications, um, but also the, the strength to maintain a completely, um, a completely free and, and creative interpretation of that stuff that's going on, because that is the only thing that's going to create a real difference between an artistic approach to artificial life and and the and the more I shouldn't say banal but the the applied uh, the applied sectors of artificial life. But, I mean, one of the interesting things that has come through these interviews is that the artificial life developers, maybe on the science end, maybe uh, on the hobbyist end, that have had the most success have been able to do it through some artistic mechanism. And I think the, the moulding of the two is, is critical in terms of actually getting the message of artificial life out. So, yeah, thank you for expanding on that. Do you have any final thoughts for the interview? No, I think that point that you just made, Tom, is, 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 the, is the really important one, that it's through the, um, it's through the mixing and the bringing together of, of different sorts of skill sets and different sorts of approaches and, and um, epistemologies uh, that, we're going to, that we're going to develop new ways of dealing with the world that we're living in and that we're um, uh, constantly transforming. Now, for people interested, how do they get in contact with you and the, the other members of the judging panel? Well, if you go to the website, it's uh, www.telefonica.es slash vida. Um, you'll find all the information about the various competitions. You'll find the call for the uh, VEDA 9.0, which is the one that we're doing now, um, with the deadlines. The call is actually um, open now, and I think the deadline is uh, mid-October. I wouldn't want that to go down as gospel, because if I forgot it wrong, yeah, October 16th. So, so all of the application details are on the website, and if people have any further queries, they can, of course, um, send me an email. That's not a problem. If, if they want to query in, in Spanish, of course, um, my colleague Daniel Kanaga will, will answer them willingly, so that's no problem either. Terrific. Thank you very much, Sally Jane, for the opportunity to interview you on Bioeta.org interviews. Thanks, Tom.